everyone. Welcome to the Teach Them Diligently podcast. Every week, we bring you simple answers to help your homeschool family thrive. We are David and Leslie Nunnery, and we are so glad you're here. Now, next week, we are going to celebrate our 24th wedding anniversary. So we thought that it would be fun this week for each of us to share several simple things that we've learned through the years about marriage and about our relationship with each other. Now, these lessons are going to seem really simple, I think, but you may find that they're not super easy to implement in your marriage. So stay tuned to see what those are. Before we dive in, though, I want to invite you to join us in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee next month, May 5th through 7th, for our largest event of the year. Kurt Cameron will be joining us along with many of the most trusted and loved authors in the Christian homeschool community. We would love to get to know you there, even as we all grow together. So go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash events to get more information and pick up your ticket today. You will be oh so glad that you did. So I am super excited to see what you've got on your list, baby. As I wrote mine, though, I was struck by how simple these things are, but how long it took me to actually learn some of them. Well, and I think that's kind of the basis of a lot of the things that we talk about. And not only that, but it's kind of an aspect of things that you find in the Bible as well, is that the, the truths are really simple but they're very difficult to actually put them in place because the entire current of us, you know, what's natural and everything that we face in the world, uh, our peers, our, even our parents, yeah. um, family members, our neighbors, uh, people that we meet at the stores, it, it, everything kind of works against these simple truths that are found in the Bible. And, um, and, and that's what makes them difficult. Yeah. And so when you listen to them, you go, oh, come on, that's, you know, yeah, duh. And they are like yeah. that. And But they're extremely difficult to put into place. Right. It's that application element yeah. that makes them makes them hard because there is, there is, and I'm, I, you know, I'm sure we'll probably tackle this at some point during this podcast, but there is that, that coming together, that oneness that you find in marriage that by definition, involves a dying to yourself. So as the two people fall off to form one, there's going to be some friction there that even though in your head you may understand what that means, when everything in culture and media is telling you other messages, sometimes it's hard to walk that way. Yes. And I think that's the reason why we need, you know, uh, 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 mentors, Yes. We need pastors. We need shepherds. We need our church. Uh, we need uh, good parents that actually will direct their children, even mm. when they get older and older and older and they moved out of the house. They need you need this accountability and this mentorship and discipleship to um, help you actually put these things in place. Right. Because like we were saying before, they're simple, but the entire current of everything around you works against against you. And that's one of the reasons why there's such a high level of divorce is even that among Christians, even among Christians is because, you know, they I think they underestimate uh, just how powerful the forces are that work against them. Yeah. And so the Bible actually lays out, OK, this is the way you have a good marriage. 
uh, this is the way you interact with each other, not just in, in marriage, but mom, dad, yeah. uh, parent relationships with friend relationships with the church. And, and it gives you all of the guidelines for those, how to have those successful relationships yeah. and what to do when people kind of, you know, they fall astray. Yeah. Um, it's really difficult to put all those things in place because everything works against that. It's unnatural. Well, yeah. Almost. Well, you know, and to that point, in one of the sessions that I have given for a couple of years, I talk about the fact that in Titus 2, the Bible actually talks about the older women teaching the younger women how to love their husbands and children. Yeah. This isn't natural at all. Even though when you stand at your, you know, at the altar on your wedding day or you get engaged or, you know, you have all the butterflies while you're dating, it feels like it's going to be the most natural thing in the world. There is a lesson to be learned. This is a discipline. This love goes way beyond just emotion into an act of the will. I love you because I love you. Yeah. I mean, you made the point when you were uh, actually going through that study in Titus, you had Paul trying to teach Titus how to lead this church in Crete. Um, and he started, you know, in talking to Titus, he started with the home mm -hmm. as being the building block for the church. Well, so yeah, Paul does even in his other epistles, you yes. see him always start with the home. Moses in Deuteronomy started with the home. Yeah. This is so important. So that actually opens up a, another question of why would we on a homeschooling families podcast lead with a podcast of things that we've learned in our marriage? Why is that so important? Well, it, you know, at our events, you know, is the most popular sessions are the ones that are regarding marriage right. and parenting. It's not the ones that, you know, teach you how to uh, teach algebra or how to teach your young person to read. It is the marriage and parenting mm -hmm. um, sessions. Those are the most popular sessions by far. I mean, it's not even close. And uh, even though people want to go shop the books, when it comes down to the sessions, the ones that they want are the marriage and parenting sessions. And the reason why that is, is because what people start to realize when they homeschool is that it's not just an academic choice. Right. It is a lifestyle choice. And what you do in homeschooling starts to overflow the boundaries that are set up. Yeah. You know, so many people think about themselves in terms of their identity is, hey, I'm like this at church. I'm like this at home. I'm like this at work. And then you start homeschooling. And it starts bursting through all of that. Mm. And it starts to actually fracture those little weak points that you had in your marriage. And, and in some cases, you don't even realize that those weak points are in your marriage right. until, until you start pressure gets until put you on start to homeschool. Yeah. And then it starts putting this pressure on your marriage. And what the what happens in a good marriage is they go, Wow, I didn't even realize that was there. Let me work on this. Yeah. In other cases, it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. So I think that's the reason why uh, we're talking about marriage right now is because if you've been homeschooling for any amount of time, you know that there is stress that is put on the marriage yeah, for sure. when you start homeschooling. And it actually strengthens a marriage because all those kind of weak points that you had when you first started, when you first started homeschooling, when you first got married it actually strengthens that. Well, it shines a light so yeah. that you can make the choice to work on them. Um, so yeah, we have learned 
an awful lot through the years about marriage. We have learned by stubbing our toe. We have learned by hurting one another. We have learned, you know, even in good ways, bad ways, all kinds of ways. There's always so much to learn. So when we were thinking about this week's podcast, we wanted to just share just a few things each that we have learned. Um, And just very, very practical, very simple, but we hope that we'll be able to give you some really practical application for these simple truths that really will go a long way in strengthening your marriage too, I pray. So do you want to go first or you want me to? Uh, You go first. I will jump in first. So it's very hard to boil down everything that you've learned in 24 years of marriage to three things, which I'm doing three, he's doing three. So that's a difficult thing. So obviously these aren't definitive. I'm not even sure that these are you know, the biggest things ever. But these are the things that I really, as as I was praying about it, that really were forefront of my mind that I thought were really practical and good to pass along. And the first one is going to impact the other two, which is why I'm starting here. So the first thing that as I look back in my rearview mirror and I see the way that God has worked in me and, and taught me, it is in the way that I trust. And that's kind of two-pronged that I want to share with you. One is trusting David and one is trusting God with David. So, um, you know, trusting David took me a while. Uh, it's not something that we're used to do. You know, we come into a marriage and we trust our parents, or we've trusted, you know, other people. And then all of a sudden, our entire lives are kind of wrapped up in this other person. And for me, it was kind of like, you know, those trust fall exercises that we do, where if you just kind of cross your arms and fall back and let it work like it's supposed to, it works great. But when you're flailing your arms, you're going to hit somebody in the face and mess everything up. And I found that far too often in our early marriage, I was flailing my arms, not not even thinking that I wasn't trusting him, but trying so desperately to control things and to get my way and to, to make my point be heard and whatever it was, that I was just slapping people around and really dinging our relationship because of it. So through the years, God has really shown me, first of all, that I can trust David. I've gotten to know him in his heart. I've seen the way that God has grown him. Um, and, and that has made it very easy for me to trust him. I really believe that's where that whole submission thing comes in. As you learn to trust and love your spouse better as a woman, it's easy to submit. It's easy to trust them. So that's been a growth area for me. But the other thing that I had to learn was to trust God with David. So, you know, it could be that I needed to trust God with something that David needed to to grow through that he was struggling with. I couldn't play Holy Spirit and try to just, you know, talk, 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 talk until I got through to him. I had to trust that the Lord was at work in that. There were other times when, you know, there were difficult times in our, either our marriage or in our family or through teach them diligently or whatever. And I was greatly concerned and I had to, again, trust God's best for David and and really just lay him on the altar with God. And you find that with your children as well. Um, but honestly, that that area of trust is something that is so hard with us, you know, not wanting to just lean into it, but it is so rewarding when we do. Well, so one thing that I've, I have learned uh, through doing 
you know, teach them diligently over the last 10 years and something that kind of occurred to me over the last two years. Um, and this has come through a lot of discussions, talking to family members, talking to people that teach them diligently. Um, and then also just the benefit of hindsight and looking at, um, you know, our marriage over 24 years is, you know, you have those verses in Ephesians 5 that, um, Paul goes through everybody, uh, reads, you know, I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people read, you know, at their marriage ceremony. And, um, I think I pointed out in the past, maybe in a past podcast, you know, in like the last month or so, I think that I pointed out this idea that most people that are kind of experts that talk about marriage, they talk about how to be a good father, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. They write these big, long books. But Paul in Ephesians 5 really broke it down to just, you know, one aspect, you know. And so it was like, wives submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. And over the years, what I've realized is that literally every single problem in a marriage comes down to either the wife doesn't feel loved by the husband or the husband doesn't feel like the wife believes in him. Mm. And, um, and that's really what, I mean, when you turn that submission thing around, right. And I'm not trying to take away, um, the leadership aspect. Um, I do think that, and I don't want to go off too much on a tangent here, but I do think that, that some people have taught this in a really irresponsible way. But, um, if you turn that around, really what it is saying there is, is, wives believe in your husbands, Hmm. you know, you have to be willing to follow him and you don't follow people you don't believe in. And the way that kind of translated, I mean, and, and it doesn't have to make sense. Right. And here's what I mean. I remember there was a time when, um, a, a, a while ago where I would start to take notice when you would grab the bar on the passenger side (laughs) Every single time that just you felt uncomfortable and we didn't have to be in the midst of, of almost being in a wreck. It didn't have to be anything really major. You would just grab it because you felt a little uncomfortable. And I took great offense to this. Yeah. Um, like, you don't trust me. And I remember when I told you that, you were like, What? It was like you never conceptualized that I could ever define something like that. You right. know, it was like how I'm just grabbing on the it, how. But I guess one of my points there is that this aspect of you believing the wife believing in the husband and the husband loving the wife, it doesn't have to make sense the specific to the other thing. one. Right. You right. know. The husband defines something of she doesn't believe in me. And then it starts to snowball from there. And it is a really powerful thing. Vice versa, for the wife, he doesn't love me. Um, and it could be everything from not kissing her a good night to not complimenting the food that maybe she cooks to uh, not helping her around the house 
to, I mean, it could be anything that maybe the guy would never define as being a, a expression of love, but the way that the wife actually looks at it is he doesn't really love me as much mm-hmm. as I thought he did. Again, she doesn't trust me as much as I thought she did. And it becomes this really damaging thing. I mean, it's like a cancer. And um, so just for us, you know, I remember looking back on it. There's all kinds of ways that that, that has manifested itself. Um, some of them make absolutely no sense whatsoever when you look back in hindsight. Mm-hmm. But it was a big deal at the time. Yeah. So that, you know, kind of as we tie this trust thing up, that that example that David gave of me grabbing onto the, the handle and, and I, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but it really did hurt his feelings. He did take offense to it. And my initial reaction to that was almost, you're crazy. This, these, you know, these two things aren't connected. I'm just, I'm just doing my thing. But then when I stepped back and I really prayed about it, God showed me, that that is an area where I can actually strengthen our relationship just by showing him in that very, very practical way how I trust him while me and our babies are in the car. Um, again, it wasn't ever a conscious, I don't trust you, but that's what I was communicating. And so, and there have been multiple conversations that we've had through the years, which is, I think, why this came up first in my mind of just different ways that me being able to show that I believe in him strengthens his heart, gives him the the courage, for lack of a better word, to go into hard situations sometimes too. Well, and, and I, I mean, just you know, thinking about those verses in the Bible, literally, if if you're a husband and wife and you don't know what's going on right now, and you have a really strained relationship with your husband or your wife, think about it in those terms. Yeah. You know, how is how how have I not shown that I trust him in the last, you know, whatever? Yep. Uh, how have I shown that I don't love her in the last whatever? And start drilling back through right. from that standpoint, because it's really a powerful thing. I think I don't think we really fully understand just how powerful that yep. is. Yep. Yep. So. So our number one thing, or my number one thing, was trust that I have learned. So mine is, um, so is is this idea of setting up habits and routine, um, and I think that um, what I'm talking about when I say that is that uh, when you first get married, you have all this emotion, and you think that it's bulletproof, and mm-hmm. like nothing is going to damage that. Um, And what you don't realize when you first get married is that you get all these distractions. You start having kids, there's promotions, there's more responsibility, there's bigger mortgages, there's uh, businesses, there's, you know, ministry opportunities, you know, you just name it. And before long, you know, you've been married for two years and you have never, you haven't really been alone with your wife. Um, and it's not that you you uh, don't love them. It's that you just ha- you just lost control of spending that time with them. You haven't prioritized. You haven't prioritized it, which means that you actually carve it out. You know that you 
you set up a routine or you set up a habit. And I remember when I was younger, my grandparents always had Friday night date night. And I used to think, man, good grief. That's something you do when you get old. Uh, and it's almost, I almost thought of it as a weakness, hmm. you know? Uh, yeah, you know, the, the fires are not as burning as hot as they once <laughs> did, you know, and you have to actually schedule this time. Concerns me. You were thinking about fires. With well, your I was, I was, I was much younger, <laughs> but it, it's seen as like this weakness. But as I've gotten older, what I've realized is, is that if you don't actually prioritize, you don't put this kind of in the DNA of your relationship yeah. and you don't schedule it out and mark it out that things get busy and emotion is just not enough to make you do this, right. you know, or to override all the reasons why you wouldn't. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you're, that time you, when you, and I'm sure everybody that's listening to this can identify with this idea of you feel literally like life turns into this thing where you're just holding on. And it's like, you're holding on to a car going down the interstate and you're just holding on with everything you got. And when you're in the midst of that, you're not going to say, you know what, we're going to pause right now and yeah. we're going to go on a date. Yeah. Um, and, and so my point in this segment is that you have to set this up as a routine or a habit or you have Probably. to, you know, you have to pause everything and make it happen. You just have to push it out of the way and make it happen Yeah. because if you don't, you're going to turn around a year and a half down the road and you're going to think, man, I, I, I meant to do it, yeah, but it hasn't happened. And it's a really important thing yeah. to get together just one-on-one and actually engage back in that relationship where you talk to each other. And just have fun together. Yeah. Um, you know, I, just to kind of make this really, really practical, um, it, Date night doesn't have to be get a babysitter, go to a restaurant. Um, for some of you, I'm sure that you're sitting there listening and you're like, I would love to have a regular date night with my spouse, but our kids are little. My family's not around. We can't afford a babysitter all the time. So I wanted to give you just some of the things that we did. Again, looking back through the years, silly little things at different stages that made a huge impact. I remember when the kids were little. Now, if you don't know, our first three were born between like the oldest was three and a half when number three came along. So we were like deep diving in the baby, baby time there um, and toddlers and, you know, so much, so much need during that, that period of our life. But during those young years, your kids go to bed so early. So we were able to put the kids in bed and then we would go downstairs and we would play games or we'd make up silly things to do. One of my favorite memories is, is a dumb game that we made up with our kids had these little foam like bricks. Do you Building remember these, these brick things? It was a house. They, yeah, it was. It weighed a little house. It had a roof and little bricks. And we got and extra points if we got the roof. <laughs> I didn't even tell them the game yet. Yeah. So we would lay on our back in the family room with the ceiling fan going above us. And we would take turns Not trying. Not No. It was on We up. weren't that good yet. That's like the advanced level. But we would take turns trying to throw and land those little blocks on the ceiling fan blade while it went around on low. 
And, you know, we would giggle and we would on occasion make it and we would scream and shout. And it I was it so fun. Oh, come on. I did. Um, it was so fun, though. That was something that we could do together. As they got older, we would play different games. We have I've talked in 365 about even some strategic changes that we've made to to rules of games and stuff um, that just make them much more fun for a married couple. We have done all kinds of stuff that did not involve spending money or going out, but it did involve really prioritizing investing in our relationship with each other and staying fun and young through the years. There have been a number of times when we would just take a walk together or now that the kids are older, we are we are free to go really anywhere. So we're able to take, you know, two or three day trips together and stuff like that because yeah. our kids are old enough to stay by themselves. All that to say, get creative with how you do it. Just make it happen. Um, make sure that you're spending that time to prioritize building and strengthening that relationship and make a habit out of it. I I mean, one thing to just you kind of glossed over when you're describing that, but we put the kids in to bed early. Oh yeah, exactly. And I mean, if you don't when put the kids, young, if you don't put the kids to bed early, then it makes it really hard to. Well, and that's you know, in those middle like years, yeah. um, there were times when we just went to bed early when they weren't going to bed at the same time. We would go to bed earlier than them sometimes, and then now our kids don't ever go to bed because they're all young adults still going to college and living here. So we just leave. Um, but we're able to do that. Every stage affords you different opportunities. So it's really important to take them. Yep. So the next thing that I wanted to share is that through the years, I've learned the difference between what the big deals are and what aren't big deals. So, you know, it's, it's very easy for me. I don't know if it's a personality thing, if it's a female thing, just girls tend to do this more. I don't know, but I tend to struggle with, prioritizing things like everything comes at me is top priority if I'm not really, really thinking about it. So in our marriage, I have found that, you know, everything had the same weight. Every battle had the same weight. And as I've matured and as we've grown closer and I've learned more about how to love him well and who he is and how he works, I have found that there are some hills that I should probably stay on a little longer and other things I should just let go. Um, but there are very few hills that I need to die on. Um, and that's a big change from before. And again, I think that that's that trust overflowing too, because as I've learned to trust him more, I recognize that I don't have to get my way for it to be right. I recognize that I can trust that he is seeking God's face. Therefore, I can trust what he is, what he decisions he is making. Um, I've learned that there's a huge humility in that because that what things are big and what things I can let go also means that, you know, if there is if there is an argument or something between us, I can I can say that I am sorry for whatever part I played in that, not waiting for him, not expecting him to do something that I'm not willing to do. So so learning the difference between well, it's not even really learning the difference. It's it's actually recognizing that there are very few things that are important enough for me to allow to be a wedge in our relationship. So, I mean, I, I'll be honest, I'm trying to think of an example 
of that particular case. And I'm, I'm struggling with coming up with a specific example on that one. Of me making mountains out of molehills? Yeah. That's a grace where God has allowed, <laughs> he has wiped your memory because there have been many times, and I don't even think that we need to break that one out anymore. Um, because I, I suspect just in conversations that I've had that I'm not the only one that has has felt that, that has dug in heels on things that don't need to be dug in and that can't look back and see how God has strengthened, has strengthened my relationship with you by enlarging my view of you, which has then changed my view of my own way. Okay. So my next one mm-hmm. uh, would be, uh, there really is no such thing as complete independence. And I think that when you first get married, you think of this idea of, you know, you, there's a little bit of selfishness in there. And then you also uh, uh, feel like you have your space and you have your space and I have my things and you have your things and this is mine and that's yours. And, and it's almost a sense of pride. And what I've realized over 24 years is that it's really the idea of independence in marriage is actually somewhat of an illusion. And um, it's not that, you know, you don't ask me questions like, hey, what are you looking at on your phone? And I say, well, you know, and I kind of give you a little bit of a, um, uh, uh, you know, I don't give you a direct answer on it. The truth is that whether I give you a direct answer about it or not, at some point, you're going to find out because either I'm going to tell you what I was looking at or uh, you're you're going or it was a gift or I'm going it's it's not going to stay hidden for very long. And I think that the idea of the two shall be one in Genesis really has kind of played out in this way Mm -hmm. that I think that what I've learned to do is just to kind of give in to this element of this is that, I mean, yeah, there are certain moments that um, you don't know exactly where I am at every moment or what I'm looking at every single moment, but I know, I know that there, that you're going to find out in some way. (laughs) And, and it's not like you're, you're, you're a detective because I know that part of the the way I'm phrasing this sounds like that. It really does. (laughs) And, and, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, is that, what impacts me impacts you. Mm-hmm. What I experience at some point, it becomes an experience for you. I mean, there's been times that I remember going up to Landrum and just taking an afternoon for whatever reason and going up to Landrum. And um, you didn't know that I was up there. And what happened? I ended up taking you up there. And then I described to you the entire experience of me being up there. I don't know whether it was three or four days before. But I think what we need to come to terms with is that this idea of marriage is that you will become one. 
Yeah. Well, and you need to submit to that. And that means that the experiences that I have at some point will become your experience. Hmm. The experiences that you have at some point will become my experiences. And this idea of, you know, yours and mine is really not reality. Well, I remember when we first, when we were dating and talking about getting married, we, we joked about the fact that we were each other's other half. In fact, the inside of David's wedding ring is inscribed to my other half. And, but we had no idea just how true that was, how, how interconnected your lives actually become both through experiences and accountability, like you were talking about, but also just through leaning on one another and depending on one another and, and being so comfortable with one another that, you know, if you're traveling or if I'm traveling, we don't even sleep well. So, you know, that, that to become one is so pervasive. And yet, yes, culture is trying to tell us about independence and be your own, you know, make your own way and make your own name. And, you know, it really, it's an illusion. It's an illusion. It's not God's best. And then if you're trying, if you're seeking your own, in fact, first Corinthians 13 tells us love does not seek its own. But if you are seeking your own, then you are putting a wedge between you and the one that God created to walk with you. And you are not trusting them. You are dying on the wrong hills. Like it impacts all of these things because your eyes are focused on yourself. Yes. And so at some point, what I know will probably become what you know. And it's just, it's, it's the way it is. And I think that, um, it's again, this is one of those things that's almost seen as a weakness. I think, uh, that they, they, uh, they want to maintain this independence. And at the end of the day, it's not reality. Right. You are married. And part of being married is that you become more and more connected. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just the way it is. Um, so. Yep. Yep. I agree. Um, so the third one, though, that I wanted to share was that God's really shown me that contentment only comes when I'm fixing my eyes on the right things. So, you know, that kind of plays off of what you were just talking if I'm looking at myself, if there's pride involved, I'm never going to be content. I'm never going to be, um, you know, for, for a mom or for a wife, the, the way that my temperament is really has a tremendous impact on the family. Same with the husband, but the, you know, everybody says if mom ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Um, so if I am discontent, if I am brittle, if I am looking for my own way, if I am fighting him or whatever on every front, if I am buying into the lies of the world that I should, my life should look different. If I'm taking my cues of what our marriage should look like from a romance novel or from, you know, little snippets of things on Instagram, 
then the odds are really good that I'm not going to be content. And that's going to factor into my relationship with David and my relationship with my kids. And um, so this is one of those areas where God has really, really done a work in my heart that, again, it loops back to that trust. I trust God with what he has given us. I trust you with the decisions that we are making. That makes me incredibly content and grateful for exactly where God has placed me. And um, that is one of those lessons that I have learned immensely through through the years is just to allow the gratitude that comes from being content to impact all the relationships around me. I actually talk um, a lot about focusing on your marriage and and really, you know, kind of getting all of these pieces right in a session that I'm doing at Pigeon Forge coming up. Um, it's only for girls. Um, it's it's a ladies only session because there are some things that that we need to unpack and, and address that I don't want to do in mixed company. But um, one of the things that we will talk about is our focus and and how the way that we are are behaving, our demeanor is impactful on those that we love. Yeah, and so um, I, that this is this is another one that. I mean, when you when you think about this, um, I think this is something that is really kind of a, a internal thing in the way that you kind of look at your relationship. And I talk about it a lot in my uh, in the Thanksgiving mm-hmm. stuff that I talk about because when you are, for instance, thank, thankful for somebody, um, it increases their value that they have, uh, you know, that they have in your mind. And so when you're thankful. It adds appreciation and appreciation not only means thankful, but it also means go up in value. And so it actually kind of aids this idea of contentment right. is that you go, I am so thankful that I have this rather than saying, I really want this. Or I wish he was like, or she was like this. I love this about her, right? Exactly. I love your curly hair. <laughs> okay. Um, so my last one has to do with intimacy mm-hmm. and it has to do with physical intimacy and just how big of a subject this is. And I want to be careful because there are going to be some people out there that are going to be listening to this with kids in the car and that sort of thing. So I want to kind of talk about it without, you know, talk, talking about it, but I did want to bring it up because it's a really big issue. And I think it's a really big issue in um, relationships where, uh, they're coming out of very conservative Christian backgrounds and, you know, you've been taught purity, 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 right. purity. And then all of a sudden you're married and then all of these things that you were taught, they were kind of like, you need to stay away from this. Now you're married and, and now the freedom. And now there's freedom. Yeah. And I think that's a really difficult thing for um, for couples to really get used to with each other. Yeah. Um, well, it's so easy for either side. I can only speak from mine to be very prudish because we, it's been, or it was for, you know, my whole life, abstain, 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 abstain. And so you, you get into your marriage and you are very prudish and you've got to let that go. You've got to, again, learn to trust your spouse and, and lean into that so that you can tear down any walls that disrupt that intimacy between you. Well, and I think that, you know, you look at, uh, 
you know, you have movies, you have uh, all kinds of elements of Hollywood. And they, and they talk about, you know, when when a husband and wife, uh, they get married and it's like, you know, everything is perfect and romantic and wonderful. And um, what happens when it's awkward? Yeah. You know, yeah. and it doesn't match what Hollywood presents. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't think that um, you should be um, you you should be discouraged by something by that if if it's awkward if yeah. if it if it's seems kind of you're just not used to the idea well and that's where you you've got to you've got to be so honest in communication that trust again you have to trust each other with any struggles or whatever that you're feeling so that you can work through them because the bible you know god god created intimacy within marriage. He gave it to us as a gift. And he he even told us in the New Testament that we are not to defraud one another. When we don't, when we aren't intimate with our spouse, it allows Satan to whisper lies. It puts a wedge in between us. It is a very, very bad thing. And so you've got to get over those things. You should enjoy your spouse. You should enjoy every part of that. Yes. But sometimes it takes trust and honest communication to get you there. Yeah. I mean, and it's a big deal, yes. you know, and I don't think that people really understand and they really diminish this. They don't think that this physical intimacy is as big of a deal as it really is. They don't understand why the other one is actually hurt mm -hmm. by another one's um, uh, uh, reticence or right. hesitancy. Uh, they, they don't understand how to deal with it. They think that it's, that's them is the reason why that maybe there's not as much of a, um, openness, uh, towards physical intimacy. Uh, you also, um, you know, I think that with the kids, I think that it's okay for the kids to know that there we is, like actually, there actually <laughs> is physical intimacy. You don't have to go into all the details and be crude and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but the, the kids need to know that there's actually some level of desire there. I think that that actually provides some level of comfort to them and security. They know that mom and dad love each other. But that often shows up in kissing in the kitchen or, you know, a big bear hug from behind or something, showing them that that physical connection. Yes. Um, you don't you don't go any farther than that, obviously. As, especially with your young children, they don't need to know any more than that. Yes, they can just gawk at it. <laughs> and, and so I think that um, what I've learned over you know twenty four years in relation to this particular subject is just how big it is, really. Yeah. You know, and 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 I think that this also the years that teach them diligently play into this as well. Yeah. And the reason why is because of the the connection that we've had with other families and that have told us that they've actually struggled in this particular area. Um, it's really a big thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I did not have a conservative kind of background, but going into the marriage, I didn't realize how many peripheral issues play into this one right. point. Right. You know, this physical intimacy thing, you know, you, you play into uh, distraction. Mm -hmm. You play into, you get into, if you're starting a business, you got the stress element exhaustion, of this. You have the you have exhaustion that plays into this. Uh, you have, 
uh, again, the, the idea of I've been taught my entire life that this isn't good. And now all of a sudden I'm supposed to flip the switch. <laughs> um, that kind of plays into this. And there's a lot of, of ripple effects into the marriage and a lot of hurt feelings that come yeah. from this. And I don't think we are prepared for how many, it's kind of a minefield, yeah. honestly. And I don't think when you first get married, you don't realize how big of a minefield it is. And then also when you start thinking about your imagination as what this is actually going to be life, be like when you get on the other side of that wedding, yeah, uh, you start imagining this fairy tale kind of thing. And it's not always a fairy tale. Right. right. Um, and it's actually become something that you have to work at a little bit. Yeah. And sometimes it's a conscious choice and a gift, a giving of yourself when you are exhausted or stressed or, or whatever. Yeah. So I think that that's another one that's really a big issue that people underestimate. And I want to be careful again. I don't want to go too far into this. And maybe this is something that you could go deep dive into this in your session. Oh, I do. Uh, okay. And that's great. <laughs> that's why it's ladies only. Yes. So that's the reason why I'm being kind of careful and yeah. in, in talking about this is that there might be kids listening. Well, and, yeah, but it is you know. such an important issue. And it's one of those things where you can cause so much harm if you don't understand it, if you don't frame it the right way, if you don't approach it the right way. But if you're not patient you do, with this as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the other side. But once you do, once you actually learn to trust one another. Once you turn this area over to the Lord, once you take your hands off of it and let God work, it can truly be just one of the best parts of your marriage. And it's something that that is just so strengthening in every other area of your, of your relationship, which I, is why God made a big deal out of it. I think it's a, uh, it's a sign of a healthy marriage. Yep. Yep. So. Yep. Well, we have gone well over the time that we normally spend today, but I hope that this has been helpful for you. I hope that even though these thoughts were relatively simple, that we were able to break them down for you in such a way that, you know, maybe you've gotten some nuggets out of there that can really, truly help your marriage as you approach the next year, next 10 years, next however to get to, to uh, 24, 25, where, you know, can't wait to to get to seventy five because um, it just keeps getting better, and I hope that that is. Can you imagine is... being seventy five years married and Love talking it. this way? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we hope that this has been an encouragement, and we look forward to seeing you. Please make your plans to join us in Pigeon Forge. It is going to be an amazing event, May fifth through seventh. Again, go to teachthemdiligently.net forward slash events to get your ticket. Uh, if you can't make it there, we have a Teach Them Diligently at Home event right now where you can enjoy a lot of the same sessions in the privacy of your own home. There's a link for that on our website as well. We hope that you have a great rest of your day and we look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thank you for joining us today. We believe that every family is called to teach them diligently. So we're here to help. We would love to get to know you this year at one of our four live Teach Them Diligently events. And then throughout the year, when you become part of the Teach Them Diligently 365 community, check out the notes from today's show for more details about what we discussed today, as well as all of these other resources that Teach Them Diligently has to offer. Have a wonderful day, and I look forward to talking to you again real soon.